right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today are one guy I've known for a long time and one guy I've only known for a few months or so, um, but they both work in an industry that I've always found really fascinating. So Kevin Kramer is the CEO of Lottery Now. Rich Wheeler is the president. Uh, guys, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us on, Bradley. So, so Rich, you and I, what, what year do you think we first met? Like 2006 or seven? Does that sound right? Somewhere around then. I, I mean, don't let the accent fool you. I'm in California, but I moved here 2009. So it was probably in the lead up to that. Yeah, as you were doing your lottery thing and I was starting to make the move out here. So it's been a while. Yeah. So for context for the listeners, I had, I don't talk about this that much, but a, a brief job on Wall Street, Lehman Brothers, trying to create a group to privatize state lotteries. And the model for what, what lotteries should be was Camelot, the British lottery, where Rich was one of the people running the company. Um, and then as they decided to try to expand into the US, when I started my first company, Tusk Strategies, they were my first client. Um, so I always have a, a lot of loyalty and, and gratitude towards towards Rich and, and everyone from that team. Um, and Kevin, how did what's your background and how did you get involved in the whole lottery space? Yeah. I. Uh... Graduated college and moved west right in the height of the internet boom. So I got some advice, kind of a Horace Greeley type of moment, which was go west, young man, and get a sales job for a database company. I don't think Horace Greeley said database company, but I got that. He wasn't quite aware of that yet. Yeah. Um, and it was 1995 and internet was taking off. I joined Oracle as a first job out of college when everyone was leaving Oracle to go sell for Netscape. And I spent 25 years really mostly in enterprise infrastructure, enterprise technology, uh, the infrastructure space, Oracle, PeopleSoft, Workday, Riverbed, big companies. Had a friend um, in 2008 whose uncle um, did this kind of business we're in in Australia, and we'll talk about that a little later, and got really interested in lottery at that point. And in 2015, my kid was playing baseball, and I met a guy who was building a mobile app for lottery. And I told him I wanted to help him, and he said he was just bunch of engineers and they might need business help later on and a few years later the the timing worked and i joined up and joined up with rich and we've been working on this project together for the last four years and we're pretty excited to take rich's lottery understanding and my enterprise software process business understanding and mix those together to uh help lotteries become less regressive and more convenient for customers yeah i think that, that's an excellent point so rich give us just kind of the starting point Give us a landscape of, of, of lotteries, especially in the U.S., and kind of yeah. what they do right and, and what they do wrong. And I think your vantage point is probably as good as anyone's. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., as you know, you've got you know 46 state lotteries or 45 in D.C. And, um, you know, they've all been around. Most of them are pretty long time. You know, from the late 60s, the most recent one was, you know, Mississippi uh, two or three years ago. And... Um, it's a very much a cookie cutter approach. You know, each, each state has its own enabling legislation. It has a set of regulations and rules that it sort of promulgates. And, and lotteries do a pretty good job of sort of sticking to those rules, being responsible um, and sort of being a custodian of what is a pretty big business in the U.S. It's $90 billion in sales. People don't appreciate kind of how big of an industry it is. Um, and it generates, you know, in excess of $20 billion for you know, good causes and bolstering state budgets uh, around the country. So, yeah, so lotteries have done a really good job of sort of, you know, applying and promulgating those rules and getting out to market. What they've struggled with is sort of adapting to change. Um, and obviously, we live in an in incredibly different world now than we did 20 years ago, um, certainly from a consumer tech, um, uh, you know, commerce perspective. 
And because of those frameworks that were set up, you know, all of that time ago and the legislation, as you know, Bradley, it's hard to change that stuff. Um, so adapting to that uh, evolving environment has been and continues to be pretty difficult for a lot of lotteries. So, so how do you compare, Rich, sort of other countries that have publicly owned lotteries operated by private companies like Camelot compared yeah. to the U.S. model where mainly state governments run lotteries themselves? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the first point you've kind of hit on the head. I think internationally, the model is, is quite different. Um, UK being the example that you cited, but it's true across Europe and uh, Australasia that the state governments that have set up lotteries have tended to take the view of, look, this is a consumer-facing, revenue-generating enterprise. You know, let's get the private sector involved in the operation and day-to-day management um, of that. That's not the way that it's really happened um, in the U.S., um, if you look at digital specifically, I mean, Camelot in the UK, they launched their first sort of transactional um, platform for people to buy lottery tickets on the internet in 2004. Um, and, you know, and we're in the app business. This was, this was pre-iPhone um, that, where that happened. So, so other, other states, other countries outside of the US have been doing this, you know, a very, very long time. And it's one of those unusual cases where the US is actually playing catch up a lot to what the rest of the world has done. Yeah. So, so Kevin, you, you see this industry that I think for a lot of the reasons that Rich just outlined uh, has a lot of growth because it, it's pretty inefficient the way that it's run right now. Uh, what then about the model of lottery now and the mobile application model lotto kind of excited you and felt like, hey, we can really disrupt the industry here? I, I think it's number one, it's technology should bring convenience. And for a product, lottery tickets that are bought at a convenience store, it's pretty ironic how inconvenient it is to go buy a lottery ticket. I, I've had meetings in downtown cities with investors and you know, said, hey, here's 100 bucks. Go buy 100 bucks for the lottery tickets. Can you come back within a half an hour? No one can do it. Um, you have to go get cash. You have to find a store that has lottery tickets. If you want to order your own numbers like birthdays or other numbers that are meaningful to you, you have to pull out a form that reminds you of taking standardized tests back in the 1980s and bubble in the numbers. And if you make one stray mark on the form, the whole form has to be thrown away and you have to get another one. And then you have to wait in line for people who are buying snacks and candy bars and beer and try to get your lottery tickets printed out and pay them the cash and then walk away and keep track of them. And then when the winning numbers come out, you have to look at it and try to figure out, do I have the right winning numbers or not? You're circling or marking the numbers and trying to figure that out. And then if you want to claim a winning, you've got to go back to the same store. So it's two car trips. It's a bunch of paper. It's getting to the ATM. It's risking your health and safety in a pandemic era and a time when, you know, not all retail locations are as safe as they used to be. So if you take that and look at it and then look at, you know, during the past several years, all of the convenience apps that have come about to make our lives easier, whether it's DoorDash or Instacart or Ease or Drizzly, all of these delivery apps, None of that's really been applied to to lottery. It's still a cash at the corner store business. It's still kind of stuck in this distribution model of the 1990s. It's really inconvenient. And the inconvenience of it cuts off a lot of customers from playing. There are a lot of customers, and we see this in our app, who do play and will play if it becomes more convenient. But the hassle factor of playing lottery just boxes out quite a few customers. So we how, them- how do you how do you guys then sort of help solve that problem? So we just have a mobile app that's available in the Apple App Store and the Samsung Galaxy Store that people can download and register and order a lottery ticket from us. We don't sell lottery tickets. We sell a service just like 
DoorDash does of delivering food. DoorDash is not a restaurant. They don't have health inspections and all of that. They deliver food from existing restaurants. We effectively deliver lottery tickets the same way Fandango delivers movie tickets or uh, Instacart delivers groceries. So people download our app, they register, they choose a game, they choose their numbers. They're doing it all on their phone with a nice user interface to pick what they want to do. And they order the tickets from us, which we then purchase on their behalf from a licensed retailer. We scan and hold the tickets for the customers. We check to see if it wins and we tell the people how much they won. And we allow them to claim their winnings straight into a wallet, just like the wallet in your Starbucks app. You can carry a balance and walk into Starbucks and pay. Same exact concept we have. So we just make it a whole lot more convenient. You can play from the safety of your home. You can play uh, and send tickets to friends if you want. And we'll check automatically and manage the whole process for people and really put the fun back into it. So, Rich, one of the arguments that you and I used quite a bit in kind of that in that period where we were looking to sort of improve U.S. state lotteries was regressivity in the sense that um, the typical U.S. lottery customer tends to be poor people and old people because they're the easiest to reach. They're the lowest hanging fruit. So state governments who run lotteries have everything kind of geared towards that customer base. The games are designed to them. They're marketed to, for them. They're, they're advertised to them. Um, and, and that not only um, kind of is, is probably regressive from a public policy standpoint, it really reduces the ability for lotteries to sort of reach more customers and, and generate more money for schools or whatever a lottery does. Um, how do you think lotteries should, should adapt to stop doing that? And how do you think Mido kind of helps solve the problem? Yeah, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, lottery growth strategies um, have really centered on, and, and this is, there's not an intent there around lotteries being regressive. Um, but it is kind of the outcome of the strategy a little bit of uh, mostly if you look at a lottery portfolio, you've got scratch tickets and draw games. And if you look at the growth in any state lottery for the last 10 to 20 years, nearly all of the growth has come through scratch tickets. And that's been achieved by increasing payouts and increasing prices. Um, you know, when I moved to California in 2009, highest price point ticket was $5 um and paid out around 60 percent now it's 30 dollars pays out around 83 percent um so that's that trend is not unique to any particular state all states have done it well the people who are buying the 30 dollar ticket are not the folks who play once or twice a year they're the folks who were previously buying the 10 or 20 dollar ticket so it's reinforcing this um this trend where people are playing lottery less uh, and, and getting more money from a much smaller group of, of people on the flip side of that, you've got about 50, 60% of the population that do play once or twice a year. We all do it. You see, you know, it'll be on mainstream media and Powerball will be $1.6 billion and everyone lines up outside the store and buys a ticket and, you know, you see it all over the place. Well, people don't do that more frequently because the primary reason is, I've sat in more focus groups than I care to remember, but it's because it's primarily inconvenient to do so. A $2 Powerball ticket should not be a destination purchase where you have to get cash and, and go to the store. So how we help is, and, and Kevin's uh, adepts to talk of this, you know, taking the best of what Silicon Valley's done around, you know, the science of user acquisition, conversion, retention, monetization, to reach large audiences in a way that lotteries so far have not done and, and the vendors that support them have not really done. And more importantly, we're investing our own capital to reach those audiences. And 
The money we invest in advertising is not coming out of a state lottery budget. We're a private entity um, that's invested in the growth of the lotteries that, that we work with. So it's a different way of thinking about lottery audiences that just hasn't been done before. So, so Kevin, as you know, you know, Rich mentioned before, there are 45 states plus D.C. that all have lotteries in the U.S. and they are all totally independent of each other. Um, and not all, not every state is alike. Who, who's kind of doing better when it comes to understanding new trends in technology and kind of being a partner for you guys? And where do you find it particularly frustrating? Yeah, great question. So, so there is a different um, kind of landscape in each state right now. Our business model is really called a career or a lottery career service. And New York and New Jersey have led the way in regulation here in regulating this business and regulating it in. The other states are kind of all looking at it and evaluating it and trying to figure out whether they want to regulate it in, how they want to have controls, what role the state should or shouldn't play within this. So our business model is very similar to that of daily fantasy sports in that it's legal but it's not regulated in every state. Uh, Daily Fantasy is legal in California. Um, you have companies like DraftKings and FanDuel operating in California, for example, but not being regulated. So New York and New Jersey have led the, the way on regulation here. Uh, Massachusetts is looking at regulation. Um, Texas and a few other states are very kind of pro-business, pro-consumer, and are working with lottery couriers to figure out the best solution. There are other states that think that lottery orders via mobile devices are funding terrorism in the Middle East and, you know, don't really want to uh, want, want to see this type of thing happen. It's still legal in their state, but the, the lottery directors are kind of less permissive of it and uh, less welcoming of the business model. So it really kind of depends on the state um, and the landscape in that state. But it, it's funny to see that and see pushback against it, because as Rich mentioned, we're investing our own capital in acquiring and servicing users. Lotteries are state agencies. They're currently going through a brick and mortar distribution mechanism. We become a digital distribution channel. You would think that a lottery director's number one goal would be to help maximize contributions to their beneficiary. And therefore they'd like to sell through as many channels as possible, distribute through as many channels as possible, uh, given, the, given the constraints in the regulatory environment but not everyone's thinking that way. There are so many special interests in different states who do and don't like lottery for certain reasons that it just becomes a pretty complicated landscape. And so, you know, a good half of our job is just advocating for ourselves with these states. We went into a, a state that was doing an RFP for iLottery, and iLottery is the state selling lottery direct, state licensing technology, offering that technology out and selling direct. And there are seven states to do sell direct. And if you go to the app store and look, Generally, the apps are two and three star because state agencies and their vendors aren't necessarily the best at innovation. Private companies are much better to innovate and service customers. Um, the lottery is a state agency like the DMV and like others. And while you can transact with those online, it's not always fun. So we've been able to take a lot of the best of Silicon Valley with um, user experience and, and innovation and focus groups and UI, UX research and thinking about how do we serve customers the best. And so as we look at it, this should be a win-win for everybody. We're helping lotteries reach different customers than they're reaching through their current distribution channels, customers who value convenience, who are willing to pay for convenience, who want to play. And we're advertising on behalf of the lotteries to help them advance their, um, advance their sales and help provide more funding to good causes. For every you know dollar we get in revenue, 
good causes get about a dollar seventy five. So there's there's kind of an impact, uh, you know, good social good impact aspect to our business as well with these states. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, I, I know specifically you guys are based in California. Um, you've been really trying to help them kind of improve the way that they run and operate and sell lottery tickets. Um, and it sounds like it's been kind of a challenging road. W- what's the situation there? Yeah, I'll, I'll let Rich handle that one. He's been uh, working with the California lottery for over 12 years now and knows them very well. Yeah, there's uh, the true point. There's a, there's a video of me on YouTube somewhere from a 2009 commission meeting, I think in the interest of sanity, they've deleted it. But yeah, we, we've been operating in some form. This company has been operating in California since 2012. We've been in the app store since 2016. And, you know, what, what we find is there's, there's different kind of mindsets of different leadership in, in the lottery. You know, previous leadership we engaged with pretty well. Um, and and that, that changes over time. You know, we operate in California like every state outside of New York and New Jersey, as Kevin said. There aren't sort of regulations formally and licenses available to do this kind of thing. So, you know, we work off the basis of legal opinions, like Kevin said, like DraftKings do in California. So it's kind of hard. I have sympathy. It's hard for lotteries, in a way, to get their hands around this. Um, if I'm a lottery that, you know, saying, look, I work, my job is to implement a lottery and operate a lottery according to the regulations that exist. And they look at us and say, well, we haven't got regulations that cover what you, what you guys do. Um, so I have a certain amount of sympathy um, with, with that approach. Um, but it depends on the state. You know, like, like Kevin said, Texas have taken a mindset of being, uh, even though the situation is broadly the same, to say, look, we think in principle this is a good idea. It's just that legislation and regulation has not caught up to this. Let's figure out a way that is going to work for us and for you. And that's not always been the case. Like you said, California is our own state. Um, we've, we've grown pretty healthily in California and, um, you know, our users love what we do, but we're still in this kind of gray space of, you know, we're all, we always want to partner with lotteries. We want to be legitimate. It's very important to us from a consumer trust point of view, of course, as well, um, to know that the lottery is supportive of what we do. Um, so, you know, we continuing to persist. We're reaching out to various stakeholders in California, including the lottery elected officials, uh, the administration, etc., because we're absolutely passionate that this is the right thing to do in terms of consumers, good policy and money for beneficiaries. So, Rich, let, let's fast forward a little bit I- I- into the, the near future. And I think your answer to this is going to be, yeah, no shit. But um, it, it seems to me that as at least let's take the U.S. as an example, as more and more states legalize more and more types of digital gaming. So we're seeing sports betting now legalized in lots of different states. Um, I think we'll see iGaming. It's in about five states right now. That's going to expand. Uh, we'll see esports betting. Uh, once a consumer from their own living room in their underwear or whatever they want can play a really fun game and gamble online, uh, why are they going to, you know, schlep to a convenience store to do a scratch off or pick six? Right. Uh, I mean, that's. I think retail is going to be around for a long time, Bradley, to be perfectly honest. And although we are becoming more of a digital society and digital economy, I don't think that's going to disappear overnight. Um, the, the, the challenge is really around how these things are going to evolve and grow, given the legal and regulatory frameworks. And also the sort of the, I mean, taking more broadly outside of lottery, I mean, in California, you've got whatever it is now, 60 tribal casinos. Um, and, and in many states, you know, if it's tribal gaming, commercial gaming, they don't, they're not healthy bedfellows with the lottery that they, they see as competitive interests around the gaming dollar. Well, look, 
No one's going to a casino less because they can get a $2 Powerball ticket on their phone. There are certain overlaps. So say scratch tickets is a good example where, you know, that's a kind of instant win experience. It's higher payout. You know, there's some studies done say there's more of an overlap of a scratch ticket player with a slot player, things like that. But these, Bradley, these things are still very, very separate from a, a policy, legal and regulatory perspective. And I think that's going to take a really long time to change. I think lotteries have to kind of take it under their own wing to say, look, we are going to set out a strategy and objective to take a proactive role in this and kind of shape our own future, not be beholden to, you know, being marginalized as being a cash at the corner store business that is eventually going to die. Yeah, exactly. So look, as a VC and as someone who kind of works specifically in that regulatory policy space, um, all the time I see, you know, kind of legacy industries that don't see change coming, don't adapt for it and basically get wiped out as a result. Um, it seems to me that especially like once the metaverse is here and anyone can find themselves at any time, like in the coolest casino in Monte Carlo, throwing craps or whatever they want to do, um, it, it, it's hard to see why lottery in its current formation continues to succeed. Um, so I, I kind of feel like the, the amount of revenue at stake, you know, in some states it's hundreds of millions of dollars a year, in some states it's billions of dollars a year, is really at risk um, if the lotteries don't modernize. And modernizing could be starting with the kind of stuff you guys are doing right now, just around digital tickets, and then growing into different types of games uh, entirely. Do, do you think the lottery directors see this? Do you think governors see this? Or do you think they're just going to end up getting smacked upside the head, just like so many other industries? Yeah, it's a, I think, there, again, it's a bit like the state-level conversations. of the, There are certain directors that, that do, and I think really understand the risks that you've articulated there around the future of lottery, and it's, it's either modernize or die. Um, I think from what I see from an administration point of view and, and, and governors around the country, all too often lottery is treated as, yeah, it's the lottery, let's leave it alone, it's in a box. Let's not make it an issue. I mean, think of the last two years in particular – you know, state level administrations have got a million and one things to deal with before they want to have a conversation about lotteries. Um, and I think that's got to change because, I mean, look, a few years ago, the, the state legislature accidentally abolished the Texas lottery for a few hours. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a good idea. It's not funny, but it kind of is. Uh, no, but they, they figured out, you know, oh, okay, and we've now got a, a multi billion dollar budget gap to fill and reinstated it pretty quickly. I think you're going to see that kind of tension as we go forward of what do we do with this lottery is legacy. I think the more it persists as being a cash at the corner store business, it's going to be more of an outlier as things go forward and everything else goes online. Yeah, I think that's right. So, so Kevin, from a business standpoint, we've got a, in the U.S. alone a $90 billion a year industry that we know is highly fragmented, highly inefficient, way too dependent on kind of brick and mortar and, and kind of means of sales and distribution and marketing that haven't really kept up with the modern economy. You know, given that your background is not just lottery, and you, you could be doing lots of different things, um, what do you see as the real upside here for Mido? Why, why are you doing this? It's a great question. And kind of building on what you were saying, I think in the metaverse world where someone can go in and be in the coolest casino in the world and feel that vibe, it's still different than the lottery play. It's still different than the draw game play. There's a, there's a big draw to this kind of feeling of hope. I've got a Mega Millions or Powerball ticket. There's a half a billion or billion dollar jackpot. It's a it's an extremely asymmetric bet there that people like to make and like to do. People will lose their shirts going into a casino or sports betting sometimes. And it's kind of hard to lose your shirt 
with responsible play of playing Powerball or Mega Millions at $2 a pop, but you still have that really big upside and that asymmetric win. So I think there's still going to be a draw to that, mm-hmm. but there needs to be more innovation in these draw games, not just innovation on the dis- distribution side. And that's the business side that we're focused on first, which we're focused on how do we acquire new customers who are less regressive and open the lottery so everyone can play, win, and make an impact. Because every time you do purchase a lottery ticket, you are giving uh, a portion of that that price for the lottery ticket to good causes. A portion goes to administration, a portion goes to the good cause, and the portion goes to the jackpots. And that's where it's different than sports betting and a lot of these other places. They're going to tax sports betting, but this is a direct um, you know, contribution to the good causes in the states through lottery. Um, so the first step is really distribution. And then the second step, and like you were saying, it's fragmented. You know, Powerball and Mega Millions are considered national games. Well, there's a national jackpot that's aggregated, but they're not really run on a national technology stack. Um, they're run in every state's own system. And a couple months ago, there was a two-day delay in figuring out whether or not there was a Powerball winner because one of the states had a problem with its internal systems trying to rationalize and figure out all the bets and did they have a winner. So they almost had to delay a Powerball drawing because the states hadn't figured out had somebody won or not. I've spent much of my career in Silicon Valley. Um, I was at Oracle back in the day. A lot of my friends went to salesforce.com. This whole SaaS revolution that's out there, this SaaS revolution that has put shared infrastructure out there for many, many companies. You have a lot of the same companies running on a salesforce.com or running on a workday infrastructure where they all have their own slice of it, but it's one central piece of infrastructure. That's not happening in lottery business. Every state is running their own bespoke custom system provided by a few big vendors in the space. When they want to make a change to a game, it takes 12 or 18 months to roll out that change through the paper system, through the convenience stores, through all the different systems and all the different terminals. We really have a vision that you should be able to innovate. And just like you were saying, make games more dynamic, come out with new types of draw games. There are types of draw games you could have where you could come up with a thousand millionaires, a thousand people win a million dollars instead of one person winning the billion dollar jackpot. If you look at the participation you could do with like the postcode lottery that happens over in Norway, where you can geolocate people and everyone within a certain geography wins or not when things happen. So we're, we're first focused on distribution and making it more convenient and attracting customers to our platform who can order lottery tickets from us. And then we have patents and technology and a lot around the infrastructure side, which taps into my background around how to make the lottery infrastructure run better, how to be able to innovate, offer out new games. Innovation in lottery right now is printing Monopoly or Pac-Man on a scratcher and getting that out to the stores quickly. That's kind of the limit of innovation that's out there right now. Um, With all that's possible on digital platforms, there should be so much more. You should be able to do theme-based draw games or draw games with different mechanics. Maybe the pricing should be lower when the jackpots are low and the pricing should be higher when the jackpots are high because people see that that kind of value differential. So there's a lot to do with kind of technology innovation and shared services and a, a better approach to the overall platform and infrastructure running the lotteries as well as the consumer experience and convenience. All right. That's an excellent answer. Rich, I'm going to throw you the last question, which is, as you said, there's 46 lotteries, which means there's hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of scratch-off games and, and draw games. Um, what's your favorite one? Ha! That's a great, I like the crossword games because uh, it gives me the illusion that I'm winning at Wordle, I guess. 
<laughs> who, who offers that? Every state or just some? Pretty much every state will have some kind of crossword game. It's like, and also I think the, the premise there, and I get sucked in, you feel like you're getting more value for money because it's like an extended play kind of thing, not just scratch off these boxes and 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 then you're done. Um, so, but I'm not a really a heavy scratch player. I've got to I've got to confess. All right. Well, hey, Kevin Kramer, Rich Wheeler, really helpful, uh, really great interview. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, brother. Thank you.